Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 5 through 14. Sorry, 7 through 14. I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible, whether paper or electronic. And if you wish to follow us using the blue pew Bible found in the pew rack in front of you, today's scripture reading can be found starting on page 994. Once again, that's Revelation chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. He, speaking of Jesus, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the, four, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased God to God, for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and, and heard the voice of many angels, numbering in thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Big thank you to Siobhan and Tabitha and the worship team and Johnson as well for reading the scriptures. Um, even as we've been journeying in a series called The River, as we anticipate Pentecost, we've been exploring God's intent to pour, to send his life-giving river to the nations in Ezekiel and even in the closing chapters of Revelation. And so it's fitting that this morning we have T.V. Thomas here with us who is also going to be unfolding the word for us. Uh, would we welcome him by uh, having attentive hearts and minds uh, to receive the word that the Lord has to give to us? And why don't we pray for him as he uh, opens the word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brother who is here and how you have called him to yourself through the gospel of Jesus, for how you have used him in his life to serve your kingdom purposes. And I pray this morning that your spirit will be upon him and in this room, causing your words to flow through him to us, and that they would land in our hearts and invite us into gospel transformation and participation in your mission going out from here this morning. I pray this all in the precious and mighty name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Uh, God, uh, th uh, thank you for the opportunity of coming and worshiping with you and also to share God's word. I've been here several times over the years, but not recently. So I come originally from Malaysia. 
and I first came to this continent, uh, people wanted to know what TV stood for. And uh, I, w I walked into a campus uh, where there was a Christian, uh, it's a Christian university, and there was a series of meetings starting from Monday to Friday. I was the main speaker for that, and I discovered in the dining hall there was a competition to guess what TV stood for. They promised there would be five prizes for the finalists, the five finalists. On, on, on the Friday before I spoke, they revealed what the five, uh, five names were. The fifth prize went to the person who said, TV stands for true value. Uh, the fourth prize went to the person who said, uh, true visionary. Uh, third prize went to the person who said, uh, uh, totally victorious. And a second prize went to the person who said, tremendously vigorous. And then the first prize, and rightly so, went to the person who said, totally vaccinated. One of the most amazing phenomena of our times uh, is the fact the populations of the world are moving. For the last 50 years, people have been moving for good reasons, for educational advancement, for better employment. But people have also been moving because of bad reasons and sad reasons. Hundreds of people are being driven out by religious persecution. Hundreds are being driven out because of political oppression. Hundreds or thousands have been driven out because of ethnic cleansing. Uh, a contemporary example of that is the fact that a million people live in Bangladesh, the Rohingyas, who are refugees, driven out from their own country. And my daughter, who is a television uh, journalist with CTV, uh, covered uh, uh, was in, in, in Bangladesh and covered uh, uh, and did 40 hours of uh, film shooting for what is taking place. A million people, the largest refugee camp in the world's history. A million people in one location. When she called me and said, Papa, this place is fully crowded. Our children, our wives, mothers, grandmothers are struggling, not knowing what what the future is going to be. Friends, I want to tell you, many, many people are, are driven out because of ethnic cleansing. But, of, but people are also forced out because of natural disasters. Whether it's earthquakes or tsunamis or famines, uh, people have to leave their places of origin that they never thought they would leave before. Then there are others who are smuggled out against their will. But friends, there, people are moving across the continents. They're crossing political body, uh, uh, borders, but they're also crossing cultural borders. You may argue people have been on the move for uh, time immemorial. Yes, I agree with you. But friends, I want to say that uh, the, uh, people have been, been, moving in, uh, been moving in such huge numbers at this fast rate uh, to such far off places as they have done in the last 50 years. This is unparalleled in history. People are moving at escalating rates. Uh, uh, the, the numbers are staggering. Uh, their origins are anywhere, and their destinations are anywhere and everywhere. 
you live, if you go into an airport where I spend a lot of time, I see hundreds of people moving, and, and they're moving uh, with, uh, with uh, intention to go find a better place. Many of the nations, the people groups, the ethnic groups, are moving to Western countries. Uh, Canada, US, Europe, Australia are, are, are destinations of choice. The question that we want to answer this morning is what is the biblical significance of people on the move? Has the scriptures have any connection to the fact that this is happening in our times? Uh, several years after into ministry, I discovered I had a new insight to a passage I had read many, many times before. That was in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Acts 17 records for us the sermon that Paul, that Paul preached in Athens on Mars Hill. But these were the verses that surprised me for the first time in the mid-80s. Uh, verse 24 to 27. The, uh, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Listen to verses 26 and 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. One of the things that we need to keep in mind, that the moving of people is not ultimately in the hands of governments. I believe all migration. I believe all immigration. I believe all emigration is ultimately in God's hands. Why? Because nothing happens without God's knowledge. No movement of an individual or a family or an ethnic group happens without God's knowledge. And I believe that the Spirit of God is at work in the world in a magnificent supernatural ways. I believe our God is allowing the scrambling of the nations for his ultimate purpose, so that that will be the, uh, the last global harvest. Friends, God ultimately decides where people live. God moves people to different places for a super good reason, to fulfill his ultimate redemptive purpose. It's found in verse 27 of Acts 17. Tells us God's fundamental reason why he allows the movement of people. Verse 27 says that they would seek God. That's his ultimate purpose. That every single person would seek God, including the people on the move. That it says that they would seek God if perhaps they might grow for him and find him. Why does this happen? Because new environments make people curious. New environments make you open your mind. New environments make them question their assumptions. They may have held it for 28 years or 45 years. 
And new environments make them compare their values with others. Because in some ways, when you go to a new place, you almost have to start with zero. Some of you have come from other places and you already know there was a time you had to rethink everything. When I first came to the continent in the early 70s, I was in seminary, and, the, and one month after I was in seminary, I received a letter uh, from, uh, from a family that I'd never known. And they said, we have adopted you, and we are going to pray for you right through your ministry preparation. And, and uh, it was a w wonderful welcome letter. About a month later, they sent me a note. And they sent me a note and said, we want you to come and spend Christmas with us. But with that note came a check. You need to know I come from Malaysia. And in Malaysia, check writing uh, in the 60s was very rare. You, you need to have a bank account to write a check. Most people didn't have that. So my father and, and my uncle, when they wrote checks, it was almost like a religious ceremony. Because in our system of check writing, you need to be very careful that that check is not tainted. There's nothing that will make it non-acceptable at a bank. So they used to wash their hands. So dry, sit very properly at the table, get the pen and write with the best penmanship. They wrote only a few checks, I need to know. Not a daily affair, but once in a while I saw them do this and it was very carefully penned. They signed it off and quickly put it in an envelope and mailed it away. Why? Because anything other than the essentials would make the check void. So when I received this second letter, when I pulled up, I saw my first check given in my name. But I was happy, $100, wow, that's a good gift. But soon I discovered they spoiled it. Because on the corner of the memo line, they said, see you on December 22nd. See, from my point of view, good intention, bad result. So I said, I'm not going to cash this because I'm going to be thrown out from the bank. Why? My Malaysian background said, this is a spoiled check. So December 22nd, I arrive in this home. And the 23rd morning, the man of the house pulled me aside and said, did you receive that check? I said, yes. Why didn't you cash it? I said, because they could throw me out of the bank. Why? Because you wrote in the corner, see you on December 22nd. Now, they were shocked. Since then, I realized, hey, that is okay. You can draw flowers and birds and planes. See, when you go to a new country, new area, 
you have to rethink. You have to rethink how you did it was maybe not the way you need to continue. See, new environments make people curious. New environments give a new freedom from the structures they come from. New freedom from community. New freedom from family. New freedom from traditions. New freedom from rituals. You see, new environments make people very receptive to new ideas, including the gospel. So if you study the book of Acts carefully, most of the conversions in the book of Acts took place to people far away from home. Friends, I believe God is doing a new thing, scrambling the nations of the world, causing people to move for good or bad reasons. Why? So that they may seek Him. So that they may seek Him. What is God's ultimate desire? It is God's desire to see the ultimate gathering of the nations, the ultimate gathering of the people groups of the world. But friends, this is not a brand new idea in Scripture. God showed His global desire in a vision to Abraham. He wanted Abraham to be involved in His global plan to gather the nations together. So in Genesis 12, which is very familiar to you, verses 1 to 3, let me read these verses again. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. So you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you, all the people groups of the world will be blessed. In you, all the ethnic groups will be blessed. Two questions. Who is the giver of this visionary promise? The giver of this visionary promise is the living God, the creator of the entire universe, the sustainer. The giver is the living God, the sovereign God. He is not a tribal God. He is not a regional God. He is not a seasonal God. He is the living God who created. He is the global God who is speaking to, to Abraham. Who is the recipient of this visionary uh, promise? The recipient uh, is Abraham, who later his name was changed to Abraham. Friends, we need to realize that Abraham was not a Jew. He was a Mesopotamian. And God, in his amazing creativity, is able to take a non-Jew and create a Jewish nation. Abraham was a worshiper of idols. He came from a polytheistic family of idol worshippers. You see that in Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3. In the spiritual darkness of Babylonia, God spoke and Abraham responded. He heard the voice of God. Friends, this proves from the very beginning the gospel is a gospel of grace. 
Abraham was not seeking God. God sought Abraham. Abraham did not have others who could talk about this living God because he lived with fellow idol worshippers. But God spoke to Abraham and Abraham responded. Friends, we read of Abraham's call and commission in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. What do we see in the last book of the Bible in Revelation? What do we, we see? The ultimate gathering of the nations. We see the fulfillment of what God promised Abraham that in him the families of the ethnic groups of the world will be, uh, will be blessed. Two passages of scripture that focus on this. One was read for you in Re from Revelation 5. The other is Revelation 7 and 9 to, uh, 9 to 12. Both are prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Both are yet to happen fully. Why this ultimate gathering of the nations? One answer, friends, for the exaltation of the crucified Lord Jesus. That's the only reason. For the exaltation of the crucified Lamb of God. The cross was a one-time effort for all of eternity. Jesus was the slain Lamb of God. The slain Lamb of God rose from the dead and He ascended into heaven and is seated right now in the heavenlies. The slain Lamb of God is now the enthroned Lamb of God. And the slain Lamb of God and the enthroned Lamb of God is also the triumphant Lamb. So what kind of a gathering is going to take place? What can we look forward to? What does the end look like? Let me, in the interest of time, talk about four amazing glimpses of this ultimate gathering of the nations. First of all, it will be a massive gathering. Uh, Revelation 5 verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them were, was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Revelation 7 verse 9. And after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count. From every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne. And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. Friends, there's a lot of symbolic imagery and language in the book of Revelation. And the author's way of describing this huge, massive number was to say myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. Friends, today, if that scripture was to be written, we would say millions and millions and millions of people. This ultimate gathering will be a massive gathering. Uh, friends, this ultimate gathering, it will, be a, it will be a group that no human can count. There will be no gathering larger than this one. These multitudes that gather is evidence world evangelization was complete. It is evidence it was a grand success. It will also mean that the Great Commission has been 
fully fulfilled. First of all, it will be a massive gathering. Secondly, it will be an inclusive and comprehensive gathering. The use of every and all in both passages of Scripture indicates this gathering will be inclusive and comprehensive. Let me read verse 9 of Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take up the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue, people and nation. Revelation 7 verse 9. And after these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and all tongues standing before the throne before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hand. Friends, this massive gathering will be multiracial. This massive gathering will be multi-ethnic. This massive gathering will be multicultural. But this massive gathering also will be multilingual. This multidimensional gathering is a result of the redemption plan that was universally available to every person through the cross in every culture, in every ethnic group, in every part of the world. All colors will be there. You know, for many years, as I traveled, uh, there were some fixed colors. I'll tell you the last 25 years, there's many combos. Many mixed colors. Now I cannot come back and describe exactly what the color is. Because of hybrid, hybrid marriages, intercultural marriages, and all kinds of combo colors. And by the time Jesus comes, the combo will be much more complicated. All colors will be there. You'll be surrounded by all kinds of people. You'll be standing beside Arabs and Chinese and Peruvians and Nepalese and Mongolians and Bantu people and First Nations people and Fiji Islanders and Maasai people and uh, Mexicans and Polynesians and Yoruba and Chileans and Ghanaians and Finns and some Canadians. You'll be standing with brothers and sisters from every corner of the world. As you look around, you cannot believe Every tribe, every language group, every ethnic group, every cultural group will be in that crowd. Oh, friends, in the horizon of the big multitude, you'll be standing and recognizing right beside you. People you have never met before, they will be standing and praising this same God. This massive gathering will include everyone. Men, women, and children. It won't be just a women's gathering. It won't be just a promise, uh, a promise keepers event for only men. It won't be just a children's rally. It will be an inclusive gathering of all races, all ages, and both genders. Thirdly, it will be a worship gathering. This gathering will be a mega celebration of masses of people joined by angels in joyful worship. Why? Christ on the cross. 
Revelation verse 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song. Why? Worthy are you to take up the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. Again, in Revelation 5, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Friends, what are they? Uh, what are they? Who are they worshiping? They're worshiping Jesus because he's worthy of worship. Why is he worthy of worship? Because he was slain. He purchased your life. When, when, then you, he purchased men and women. You, pay, you will be saying to him, we worship you because you paid the price of penalty of sin with your own blood. You, pay, you purchase for God, and so we belong to God. Friends, Jesus is truly worthy of worship. But let me remind you, every time we gather here, when we come to a worship service, we need to have that frame of reference. We are here to worship him because he's worthy of worship. Because he was slain, he sacrificed, and he's now king eternal. We worship him and thank him for who he is. You see, many of you have seen some massive choirs. Uh, four, five hundred, three hundred. And perhaps on a screen, on a television screen, you have seen uh, crusade choirs where there's huge singer, numbers of singers before the preaching takes place. Friends, this gathering will be a global choir. And singing a new song. This is a song of redemption. And the wonderful thing is you and I will be part of the global choir. Each believer will be there. Even if you cannot sing right, right now. I belong to that category. If I start singing, you will clear out faster than a fire taking place. But friends, I'm looking forward. I'm going to be part of that global choir. So when I see worship leaders singing, I say, no, my time is coming. I'll have the same heavenly voice as they would. We'll be part of one. There'll be no human spectators. There'll be no human spectators. Every person will be a participant. Every person will be a worshiper. It'll be a worshiper. And, uh, uh, you know, over the years I've traveled and I've discovered something. In some churches there are some individuals, and usually it's men, who think they are so spiritually mature and they are so sophisticated in their Christianity, they refuse to sing. They come... They have arrived. And those people, I want to say, you're a fool. If you're going to be part of the global choir, we need to do some practice here. 
were practicing for the global choir. And if you can use your tongue for the rest of the week for many other secondary things, why won't you use that tongue to worship the God who saved you? We need to practice up to be part of the global choir. Praise God, he accepts my noisy voice. Praise God. My intention is right to lift up Jesus. Friends, you, you and I will be singing a new song of praise and worship. It's a new song that will never grow old. Why? The wonder of the joy of the salvation will never pay in the new heaven and earth, nothing will grow old. No one will grow old. None of us have to buy and apply creams to look young again. There'll be no wrinkles. No surgeries to look younger. No arthritis pain. And no medical appointments. Because you'll be part of that family. For this choir, there'll be a rich diversity of instruments of the world. Not just instruments we know. God is going to gather the instruments of all history. Because he's a God of history. And every worshiper and every instrument for worship will show up because he's a God and they'll be singing in many languages. The worship gathering will demonstrate that the, the languages and cultures of the world will not disappear at the ultimate gathering of the nations. See, God takes whatever is useful in every culture, in every generation. He redeems that and transforms that into elements of praise to Him. At that worship service, gifts and riches of every culture will be offered for His glory and praise. You see, our God is too big to be confined to one single culture. He's too big to be confined to one single generation. He's too big to be confined to a single culture's worship style or generational style. Friends, he is the God of the nations and is the God of history. It's the culmination of that. The ultimate gathering will be a massive gathering. The ultimate gathering will be an inclusive and comprehensive gathering. The ultimate gathering will be a worship gathering. God is going to be glorified through the global worship of all cultural, linguistic, and ethnic expressions. I want to quote a statement from my good friend for many years, pastor of, John, uh, of Bethlehem Baptist Church, John Piper. Wonderful statement. Global mission exists because global worship doesn't exist yet. What we read in Revelation 5 and 7 is yet to be. Till then, global mission must exist. Global 
mission exists because global worship doesn't exist yet. Friends, that's the final reality. And, and, and by, when we come to Revelation 5, the mission of God is over. This, that is why we need to still be engaged in global mission. We still need to mobilize people. We still need to equip people. We still need to train people. We still need to pray. And we need to send them. We need to give. And we need to go. But friends, that's also why we need to be engaged simultaneously in locally reaching people within our spheres of influence. Building those relationships with who are unbelievers, praying for their salvation, inviting them to come into our lives, and then sharing with them the good news of Jesus. See, the mission of God is not just global. The mission of God is not just local. That's why for the last 10 years I've said the mission of God is local. Because our God is not just a global God, He's also a local God. He's a global God. We need to keep this thing. And fourthly and finally, it'll be a victory gathering. The nations will be gathered because of the victory of the Lamb. Look at Revelation 7. Verses 9 to 10. And after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Friends, I want you to notice what verse 9 uh, conveys to us. Verse 9 conveys to us the kind of apparel. Like what were they wearing? They were wearing white robes. These long, glorious garments were whitened by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? It means two things. Each person in the crowd is in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Why? Because each one of them is reconciled to God through Christ's shed blood. But secondly, every person is dressed in the robe of righteousness, in spotless purity and righteousness. Friends, it's not self-produced righteousness. It's not self-earned righteousness. But we'll be dressed in God's righteousness. Why? Then notice in verse 9, they also have palm branches as a symbol of victory and rejoicing. Why palm branches? Acknowledging and recognizing the kingship of Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, palm branches were associated with the annual uh, feast of booths un under the Old Covenant. In the Old Testament, it was a time of community thanksgiving. What? Community thanksgiving for the agricultural harvest that has been brought in. But in Revelation 7, the waving of palm branches by this massive crowd of redeemed people is because they're celebrating the ingathering of the eternal global spiritual harvest. The spiritual harvest is in. The eternal harvest is in. Keep in mind, the last time people waved palm branches in Scripture 
was when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on his last road trip from Jerusalem to Galilee. And what is known as Palm Sunday, people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know the very ones, some of the very ones who cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, are the very ones who later said, crucify him, crucify him. But in Revelation 7, the crowd is the bride of Christ. The crowd is the bride of Christ, sanctified, who is waving the branches of victory. Notice the crowd and see what else they're doing. Not only were they wearing white robes, not only were they wearing, waving their palm branches, they were worshiping with loud voices. Along with their waving of their branches, they were shouting. I know some of you watch the Raptors win the Eastern Finals. I did. Uh, almost miraculous. I'm glad I didn't take the bet with my children. I would have lost. But you know what happened last night. The cheering, the victory. And the party went on till 2 o'clock. I was not there, but somebody called me this morning and said, the reason I delayed calling you at 7 is because I slept in. I was at the party. They were cheering. The Raptors. Going to the NBA Finals. The first time the NBA Finals has become international BA. It's always been. U.S. teams. Here's the Canadian team cheering. Friends, that's the picture we see here. Who are they worshipping? In verse 10, revelation, salvation to a God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. The crowd cried out in triumph because they had been delivered from the day of God's wrath. And because they have been reconciled to the cross. Revelation 5.12. The crowd is saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, and glory, and blessing. Friends, this is the victory song to the Lamb. Who was slain before the foundation of the earth. This is the triumph of the Lamb. Declared by the church triumphant. In verse 12 of Revelation 5, notice the sevenfold affirmations declaring the supreme worth of the Lamb's attributes. All these points to the deity of the Lamb. Power, unlimited ability, riches, unconditional wealth, wisdom, unrivaled mental excellence, might, Superhuman power, honor, exalted praise of character, glory, majestic radiance of all the attributes coming together, and then blessing, glorious thanksgiving. Every created being will worship and declare the victory of the Lamb. Friends, we can be absolutely certain there will be the time 
there will be the ultimate gathering of the nations. It will be a massive gathering. It will be an inclusive and comprehensive gathering. It will be a worship gathering. It will be a victory gathering. The question we have to walk out here is what does God expect us to do now? How are we going to prepare people for that gathering? That's what we work for as agents of reconciliation, as ambassadors for Christ, as witnesses of Christ, as co-laborers co with Christ. We work, we work both locally and globally. Globally and locally. Preparing people to be our neighbors in that massive, all-inclusive worship, victory, gathering. Amen?